0: All right, First Church, well, thank you for having me this morning. That is one of our awesome students. Her name is Sarah Icola, and she's part of our high school ministry, uh, we have a middle school and high school ministry. Middle school's called D-Groups and high school's called Tribe. And some awesome things are happening in our youth ministry. And we have an exciting trip this coming December. And I'm going to do a shameless plug for that right now, if you will. Uh, <clears throat> this is our Haiti trip we're going to. We're taking 16 people to Haiti to an orphanage that we've been a part of, that our church has been a part of. And so our students are raising money. You guys have been incredible with raising money and supporting us. We had a brunch a few weeks back and... Our minds were just blown with how generous you are. So, um, if you feel led to continue to be generous, uh, buy one of these awesome shirts for the beautiful price of only $15. Okay, all right, I'm done. All right, so. If you guys have been here for any amount of time, a few weeks, you know that we're in a series called Life Hacks, and this is the final weekend of that, and we're closing up with joy, which I'm glad because this is one of the most important life hacks to have. If you don't know what a life hack is, it's a simple trick or tool to use uh, to make your life better, more enjoyable, uh, more efficient, and so we're like, we're going to use this in a spiritual way because that's how we roll. So joy is one of these life hacks that if we pursue it, if we take hold of it, if we do this, our life is immensely Um, it just becomes way better and we're able to have an incredible impact on those around us. So with Life Hacks though, of course... These are little tips and tricks, and we've been showing videos of things that you can do. Uh, We've been showing videos of of ways that you can make life easier. We had a paper towel one where if you use only one paper towel, it saves all these trees, and it was awesome. We wanted to do something on stage this morning, and we figured out it's a little tough to do some of these things on stage with a large number of people. So instead, I did some studying, and I came up with a list of my favorite life hacks, and I'm going to give them to you guys right now to use freely. Uh, These five have to do with me. They're personally, they may relate to you. I don't know, but the first one is the, probably the most relatable to most people in this room. And it has to do with smelly feet. So let's be real here. We're in church. No one can lie. So you may struggle with smelly feet. And in Michigan, we really struggle with this because our shoes get wet. It gets nasty. Uh, and so a really quick, easy way to get rid of your smelly shoes is to take dryer sheets and put them in each of your shoes at night, and then in the morning, uh, theoretically, they should be dry because it's supposed to absorb the moisture and, of course, smells delicious and nice, and your feet smell like fresh spring air or whatever your dryer sheets are. They always have the weirdest names, like Blossoming Rose. Um, The next one is if you forget your phone charger while traveling, which I do almost every time. I have, like, 20 phone chargers because I buy them every time I travel. So if you forget it, it's okay because... Uh, In the back of your TV, there's a USB port, normally on these TVs, in hotels. Like, all the new hotels have new TVs. In the back is a USB port. So if you only have, like, part of your charger, you don't have the wall adapter or anything, you can use that to charge. You're welcome. All right, next, we have soup, which I love soup. I don't know if anybody loves soup. Alex, my wife, and I were, like, busy, so we always do crockpot meals. And so half of our meals are soup or some sort of mixture of soup. And so if you have leftover soup and you don't know what to do with it, pour it into muffin can, pans, muffin pans, and then freeze it, and then later you'll have single-serve soup. All right. If you're like me, you'll just throw the pan out and eat it all anyway, so don't (laughs) waste the time. But next we have, this one is actually one I'm going to legitimately try. When you're driving, if you take a roll of duct tape and put it on your seat or on your floor, it acts as a cup holder, and it's it's heavy enough that it won't (laughs) let the cup tip... I know, and you may be like, well, in this day, people are smart and they make cars with like 10 cup holders. Why is this even an issue? But if you're like me, every 10 or every one of those 10 cup holders are filled with old cups, filled with like old coffee, and I never throw them away. It just gets filled up. So you just keep adding on cup holders to your vehicle. Um, I'm, I'm serious. That duct tape is going to look really good this week to you guys. Um, and last one, if you guys have kids, I call this the microwave challenge, uh, if you have kids or if it's just you and your spouse or whatever, and you have a dirty kitchen, the first thing you're going to do is neglect that kitchen and probably watch a movie. So the microwave challenge is where you cook something in the microwave, say popcorn, and in that amount of time, the three minutes, you race and see how much of the kitchen you can clean up. And that way, by the end, you're like, well, I tried and there's something I did, but it's three minutes and it's time to watch the Avengers. Let's go. So that's for you guys. And those are free of charge, as David always says. So you can use those willy-nilly and I bet your life will become a lot more efficient and better. So today's life hack is joy. And this is this is really important because a lot of times we mix up joy and happiness. It's a very easy thing to do. Even I was researching like, some definitions of joy, and all of them had the same or very similar definition to happiness. And the, it's really important for us to understand that happiness and joy are actually two very different things. Um, happiness, this is how they define it, is feeling or showing pleasure or contentment. This might be you eat ice cream. And you're happy. I know I am. I eat ice cream like at DQ or I go to get Grater's ice cream at Meijer. Oh, man, I'm so happy. Uh, you, when your house is perfectly clean, maybe you're happy then. You're like, oh. when everything goes according to plan, you've laid out the schedule and everything goes great and you're happy, you're like, yes, I'm so smart. Um, you may check your bank account and there's more money than you thought. I've heard that this is a thing. I imagine that some people experience this happiness. <laughs> I really hope that someone out there has experienced that happiness because every time I see it, I have great sorrow. Uh, You may... (laughs) You may have a boss or superior who says, good job to you, well done, and that makes you feel happy. Uh, you go on a date with somebody special, and that makes you happy, of course. And then finally, traveling or vacationing. We go on these trips, and it's just very happy and fulfilling. And that's great. That's happiness, and that's fantastic, but it's very different from joy. And in fact, um, it's a very shallow uh, feeling and experience versus joy, because happiness is something that you know, our brains actually release a chemical, and we feel happy, and that's great. But joy is so much deeper, and joy is actually a lot more gritty and a lot more raw, and it is a much more real human experience to have. And so that's what we want to do today, is kind of pick apart really what is joy, and how is that different from happiness? The definition that I found for joy actually comes from Rick Warren. He's a pastor at Saddleback Church in California, and he's a well-known guy. He's pretty smart, and he says this, he says, joy is the settled assurance That God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in every situation. I'm going to read that one more time for those who are falling asleep. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. So God's in control. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. So everything's going to be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in every situation. So we choose continually day in and day out to praise God. So three things that are similar but very different and very critical for when we understand what true joy actually is. And so when we look at life, a lot of times we use this analogy. You probably have heard of this using hills or roller coaster. You say, oh, life is like a hill or a roller coaster, there's ups and there's downs or or your relationships are like a roller coaster. There's goods and there's bads and, you know, we're going up and down and all these things. And, you know, that's a great analogy if you're wanting to focus your life on happiness. But I actually think, after doing, spending this week thinking about this, I, I believe that looking at life as hills and roller coasters is actually a very uh, unhealthy way to look at life. Because if that is the way that we perceive everything as ups and downs, then we don't really understand what joy is. The reason that there's ups and downs is because things are great and things are bad, because happiness and sorrow, they cannot coexist together. You cannot be extremely happy and extremely sorrowful at the same time. They're different, and so you're either happy or you're sad. And I think that a lot of people, I think that we miss out on that. But instead of looking at life as hills and a roller coaster, I heard this analogy, and you might have heard it too, it says we should look at life as two train tracks, if you've ever been on a train before, uh, you know that there's rails that guide the train, and there's two of them, usually, and they're beams, and they're very similar. They're, uh, they're on one side of the other. They help the train get from point A to point B. They're, they look the same and all the stuff. However, they are also very different. They're two very separate, different beams or guide rails that guide this train, but they also both are equally important to get that train from point A to point B. And when we look at life, I think that this might be a healthier way for us to look because one side of that track might be the things that are beautiful. You know, you're going through life and, man, these things are great. Uh, This part of my life is is going good and I'm really crushing it and it's beautiful and I love this, it's going fantastic. And then this side of my life, there are things that are still broken because nothing is perfect and there's still pain. There's this part of my life that is still kind of causing me uh, pain and causing me regret and if anybody has been alive, you know, longer than a day or so, you realize that every day life is filled with both beauty and pain and both happiness and sorrow. And so if we look at life as train tracks that we can, we can live and walk alongside God in a life where both can exist, that's where true joy is found because it's not circumstantial and it's not either good or bad, but it's both and. And like I said, if you guys have been around long enough, you realize that this is the way we live our life, is that there's both and in almost every aspect. And so joy is not a feeling like happiness. So this is why we must choose joy. And I'm going to read this definition one more time. It is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in every situation. So we know what joy is. I and mean, this series has been following the writings of a guy named King Solomon, and he wrote this book called Proverbs, and that's what we've been pulling all these series about. And King Solomon was a really interesting guy. He was uh, put in power kind of at a younger age. He was nervous and scared. And he was put as king, and he, you know, he's like, what am I going to do? And God visits him in a dream, and says, God says, what do you want? I'll give you anything because um, I know that you really need help. Uh, I honestly, I could really use a dream like that sometimes. <laughs> uh, so God shows him. He's like, I'll give you anything. Uh, and... King Solomon being um, this young man shows this incredible act of humility and he says, I don't want physical things. Instead, I want wisdom and I want discernment and I want to know how to lead these people. And then God blesses him with this. He becomes what we call like the wisest man. Uh, and, And then God continues to bless him with other things as well because of this decision to be wise. And so this is the guy who wrote Proverbs. So we know that what we're about to read is like top quality stuff. Okay. I didn't like make this up. This is like for real, the wisest guy. So Proverbs seventeen twenty two, it says this, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. And I wonder where you fall this morning. What side of that verse are you leaning towards? Do you feel like, yeah, I'm I'm more of a joyful person. I, I feel like I understand and grasp this like, two-track idea where I can have both and, and that's where joy lies. I feel like I'm getting that. Or maybe you fall on the other side of the verse where you'd say, man, I am just crushed right now. There's this thing in my life where it's maybe everything in my life where I feel like I'm just broken and crushed. I feel like my bones are dried up. Because in life, there's a lot of things that cause us to feel crushed. There's a lot of things that make us feel dried up and like we're wasting away. Um, things like relationships. man, our marriages, sometimes we had this plan and this dream, and this future, you know, we, we knew it was going to happen and we knew this person and then things maybe didn't go the way we thought. Um, maybe they passed away. Maybe something drastic happened and, and this relationship that was supposed to be so intimate is broken and we just feel ultimately crushed and alone and what am I going to do? Uh, maybe it's your job. Maybe in the situation you feel like, man, I'm not making enough, and this is struggling. I'm barely, barely making. It. I'm just, I'm crushing under this weight of responsibility. And no matter how much I try, I can't, you know, climb the ladder. No matter how much I do, I can't, you know, please my my boss or my superiors. Maybe you're working alongside somebody who is just draining, and you just feel crushed. I have um, the awesome opportunity of working alongside my wife, Alex. She does middle school and I do high school. And so I honestly don't have that problem, but she definitely does. So I'm sorry, Alex, you're probably feeling crushed. Um, so you may feel that way. There's all these things in our life that just feel like they're crushing us. And, and another big one is, is health. Uh, and I said this in the last service too, but I, when I came on staff here, I never really realized how much people in our, in our community and our family here uh, struggle with health. And not only that, but how crushing that is. <clears throat> I personally haven't had a lot of huge health issues, but I've been a part of the hospital visits. And so I go and I meet with people and we pray and emails are sent and we're updated on things. And I began to realize like how many people struggle with this health that could be crushing or has someone in their life that has struggling with health and it's just crushing and it's it just wears you away no matter how much money or time or prayer you throw at it you see it seems like just things don't get better. And so there's so many things in our life that cause us to feel crushed. And when I think of crushed I think of a piece of pottery um, or like a vase, maybe you guys have had one and it's been broken or knocked off a shelf. That's me, I always knock things off shelves. And whenever they fall and break, they blow up into a million pieces. No, no amount of super glue is ever gonna repair that. And it kind of feels that way in life We're like, man, I'm crushed, I'm broken, and it's hopeless. There is absolutely no way that I could possibly be brought back. There's no way that I could possibly be healed. There's no way I can come up out of this crushing weight or just feeling dried up. But God says in this verse, I love this, a joyful heart is good medicine. And so we know that there's hope. And so is it easy? (laughs) No. And that's actually what I've been wrestling with this week is choosing joy or having joy. Is this is this something I choose? Do I, do I choose to be joyful? Is it something that I pray for and you know God gives it to me? Is it something that somebody helps me grow in? I mean, how, how, do you, how does a person become a joyful person? Because a lot of us, I think, in here would be like, you know, this is great, but you don't understand my situation. There's no way that in my life I could be a joyful person right now. Maybe in a couple years or maybe a couple years ago I could have been, but right now I can't. I think that's how a lot of us feel is I, I can't choose joy. And so I want us to remember our definition of joy. It's one, confidence that God has control. Two, believe everything's going to be all right. And three, praise God all the time. So we're going to read here what Paul says in Philippians 4.4. 4. <clears throat> he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So we see that rejoice is actually a verb. It's not a noun at all. Uh, It says, joy is not something that is given to you. It's not something that's a personality trait or a characteristic. You can't just be like, oh, that person is joyful because they were born that way. Or, you know, it's just the way that their makeup is, that they're just naturally a joyful person. So I'm not going to be joyful. But we see right here that Paul starts off immediately by saying, rejoice. This is a choice. This is an action. I tell you to rejoice. Again, I say Rejoice. And so what is the difference if rejoicing and then rejoicing in the Lord? What does that even mean? So he's telling us to rejoice, okay, but what does that mean to rejoice in the Lord? So I dug around a little bit, and I found this in Psalms. David wrote this. He says, you make known the path of life. You will fill me with joy, and this is important, you will fill me with joy in your presence. You fill me with joy in your presence. And later Jesus is talking and he says, if you keep my commands and you abide in my love, abide is meaning staying, you're staying in my love, Those thing, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy will be in you and that your joy may be full. So we see from this scripture and, and other scriptures as well, God is saying, yes, you can have joy, but not apart from me. You need to abide in me. You need to be near to me. He says, I will fill you with joy when you are in my presence. It's not a Sunday morning thing. This is so simple, and I'm sure we've all heard this so many times, but we need to choose to be near to God, to be in this relationship where we are in his presence. It's not just right now, but it might be in your car. It might be at a soccer game. It might be you know, while you're nursing your kid back from health. It might be in classroom. I don't know where it is, but consistently, we need to be in a place where we know we are near to God and that our relationship with him is tight. I've asked a few students this before, um, but if you were dating God, would he break up with you? Oh, that's a tough question, isn't it? <laughs> Think of the quality time that it takes to have a healthy dating relationship or marriage and how much time you give to that other person, how much you know them and how well they know you. And so you ask yourself, how well do I know God? And almost even more difficult, how, will, how well does God know me? How much do I really open up and be real around God? And it's critical because if we're going to have joy, he says right here, rejoice in the Lord. He doesn't just say rejoice. Hey, rejoice. He says rejoice in the Lord. And he says always. And that's the third point of Rick Warren's definition. He says determined choice to praise God in every situation. And this is the hardest part of joy. Because he isn't saying be happy. He's not saying, hey, be happy all the time. I say again, be happy. No, but he's saying always. And so when he says joy, he's not talking about happiness. He's not saying walk around and be happy and smiling and pretend everything's okay and put on a mask or you know, give high fives. No, not at all, because in fact, a lot of the rejoicing, a lot of the songs in the Bible are actually mournful or in a, in a place where the, the author is searching and he's terrified or he's scared or he's alone and he's saying, God, I need you, um, but I know you're bigger, so please provide for me, fight off my enemies, take. Take my side. And, he's, and it's this raw, tough, gritty emotion where the author is saying, I know you're bigger, but I really need you right now. And so when Paul is saying rejoice always, he's not saying, hey, laugh all the time. You know, give chest bumps. just pretend like everything's going great. No, not, I don't think God is saying that at all because there's a lot of really healthy ways to work through emotions that we see throughout Scripture. And pretending to be happy is not a healthy way of handling that. But he's saying rejoice. Find confidence in me. Know that everything's going to be okay. Praise me always. And finally, he finishes with, again, I say rejoice. And this is actually really, really important because uh, nowadays when we uh, type something or text something, we can use bold and ital- we can italicize and underline and you can use all caps. If you get an email, like in all caps, there's like 10 exclamation points. You're like, you know you're in trouble. You're like, ah, um, I get those all the time. And so believe you, trust me, you know, like when it comes in all caps, you're like, oh, man, they really mean this. Like, I need to pay attention. Um, And so, you know, back when these scriptures were written, they didn't have bold or they didn't underline or any of that stuff because they had many people scribing and writing. And so they couldn't be like, hey, can you like write that word rejoice and then write it over three times so it's bolder? No, like that's ridiculous. So what they would do is instead they would have it repeated. And so it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Almost to say, hey, if you were sleeping, wake up because you need to get this. Again, I tell you to rejoice. And that is critical. And so as Paul's writing this, he's coming from a place of complete authority to be saying this to us. Uh, a lot of us, I think, would say, well, this is great, but again, you still don't understand what I've seen, what I've done, what I've been a part of, what has happened to me, or people in my life, you don't get it, this is a great message and it sounds pretty, but like, it's not possible. But Paul is coming from this place where he has a complete authority to be saying this because originally he was not Paul. You might know the story. He was called Saul. He was a high religious leader and he hated Christians and he killed them and imprisoned them, beat them. He was doing everything he could to shut down this ministry and this church that Jesus had set up and he just hated Christians. And then on this road, this incredible uh, connection between God and man, God comes to him and just turns his life around and wakes him up and says, You're, you've got it completely wrong. And, and Saul's life is turned completely around and he's then referred to as Paul. And so then Paul, he goes to the complete opposite side of the spectrum and he is just proclaiming God and, and uh, supporting these Christians that he'd previously just been killing and beating up and imprisoning. And so because of this, many people beat him up and imprisoned him and threw rocks at him and didn't give him food and mocked him and threw him out of places. Sometimes it was his friends from before. Sometimes it was even these Christians who just couldn't trust him. Paul had a really tough life. He wrote most of the stuff from a prison himself. So if anybody is going to tell us to rejoice and if anybody is going to have like, the authority and the audacity to be saying that, it's somebody like Paul because he totally gets What it's like to be crushed and he totally understands what it's like to feel like your bones are being dried up and so he's coming from this place of experience and so we know that we can trust and so is god asking us to choose happiness no i don't think so i don't think god ever says always be happy because god made us he knows the way we function he knows how there are times where we need to just be broken and work through things and, um, and to be healed and he knows that it's not even possible to be happy all the time so no I don't think he is but let's remember our definition of joy he says to have assurance that God is in control of all the details to have confidence that everything is going to be alright and to make the determined choice to praise God in every situation so is God asking us to choose joy is it possible for us to even choose joy I believe it is Is it easy? I don't believe it's easy at all. But is it possible? Yeah. And I've seen through not just reading these things and and watching people who are joyful people. I've just experienced it in my own life just through my relationship with God that we can choose joy in tough times. That it is a choice. That it's an action. No one ever said it was an easy choice. But can I be a joyful person no matter where I've been and where I'm at? I believe yes. In the first part of this scripture, he says, A joyful heart is good medicine. And that's really important because I think a lot of us really need some good medicine right now. I think the idea of having medicine for our soul sounds really appetizing. And when someone is sick and uh, they take medicine, you know, you've probably seen this, the person gets better, but also the people around that person also get better, right? Are there any parents in this room? You better raise your hand. There are way too many people to not have parents in this room. Okay. So if you are a parent or if you've been a part of any, has anybody been in a family before? Please. I swear, every one of you better raise your hand. Okay. If you've been in the family before, if you exist, then you know what it's like to have somebody sick in your family. And when someone in your family is sick, they're not just sick. Everybody else in the family is sick of them and just (laughs) tired in general. And so when somebody brings in medicine and that person is healed, it's not just that sick person that is influenced, but of course, like everybody else in that household is just way better. Uh, Whenever I get sick, my wife and I are different. Whenever I get sick, I want to just like lay in bed and close the door. I'm like, please just let me die. I want to be alone. And so I'm, I love to be alone. I don't want to be touched. Um, and Alex loves to be pampered. So I, you know, bring her things to eat and drink and turn the TV on. And so when uh, Walgreens calls and they say, hey, we have your medicine or whatever, and I go in and pick it up, like the week's household is a much better place for it. And everybody inside of it is vastly impacted because of this medicine, not just because the person who's healed, but because everybody else around them is healed. And so I wonder who in your life would be vastly impacted if you chose to be joyful. And I wonder if, if you had a joyful heart and if, if, if I had a joyful heart, if I woke up every morning and I said, I'm gonna pursue this, I'm gonna be somebody who's known as a joyful person I wonder who in my life uh, would be changed. I wonder who in my life needs to see a joyful heart, who maybe has never even witnessed what it's like to be around somebody who's filled with joy. I want to share this story about somebody. You probably have actually heard it. Uh, It's the story of Mitch Ross, and and he's this teenager. He's, He's the nephew of Chris Spitters, who's our student pastor, and also over at Stevensville. Um, and if you know this story, it's, it's an incredible story of this young man who was a high schooler, was diagnosed with cancer and had this you know, this fight for you know several years and um, battling cancer and, and different things that went good and things that went bad. And he just created this gathering, almost a following of people who just would keep track of him and, and talk to him and give updates and send updates to other people. And he had this following of many people who cared and were concerned and were praying and who were impacted because of Mitch. And as he battled through this, he was such a strong man. And everybody who knew Mitch or got a chance to meet him would just talk about how he was so, I would just say, strong and confident in who God is. His parents, we we heard many stories about his parents who would be, you know, crying and they'd be suffering, and, and they would come to him and they'd be like, you know, this is hard, like we're sorry, we have some bad news or whatever. And he would always say, It's okay, God's in control. And he had this joyful heart about him that wasn't, wasn't always happy, but it was joyful knowing that God was in control. And, and Mitch, he ended up passing away. And it was it was devastating to his community and his family and, and to even our students here in our church. And the impact that Mitch had through his life was was great, but the impact that Mitch had during those last few years was indescribable, and that was because his heart was filled with joy. And the students who were part of his life got to see him uh, sometimes at Warner Camp, uh, sometimes they maybe knew him through school. But... Their story like didn't, didn't stop with him passing away at all because his family continued on his legacy and they continued sharing his story. And this is incredible, but through their times of suffering, through their times of battling when he was, you know, he was still fighting cancer, they said that they would spend time as a family, like in a group, Worshiping and praying and reading scripture, and they would send scripture to each other and they would send, you know, uh, inspirational thoughts and things that they read and were prayed about. And um, they were never in a constant state of depression, but they were in a constant state of joy. And it was never, it wasn't every day that, you know, it was easy, of course. But they were in this place where they were drawing near to God and finding joy in His presence. And I really believe that because of that, that as that family did that, their impact, their medicine, had this crazy impact on those around them. And Brenda came and she shared her story. And you can only imagine uh, hearing a story from a mom talk about her young son passing away, how it's just unfair and it doesn't seem right and it just seems just so wrong and and, and painful. And, And as she shared her story, nothing about her was angry, but everything about her was filled with joy. And it wasn't It wasn't happiness, but it was a joy because she knew where her son was. She knew the impact that he had with his life. And she knew the impact that he had even after he had passed away. And it's incredible because at his funeral, over 200 people decided to follow Christ because of his story, because of this young man's story. 200 people were affected by his medicine, by this joyful heart. And if you were to ask Brenda, his mom, you know, if if every day if she was considered if she would consider herself a joyful person, or if every day she woke up and she chose those three things, she was gonna be confident in God and knew that everything was gonna be okay and would praise him, she would probably say no because she's human. But over the stretch, those few years, if you asked her, Did were you a joyful person, she would say yes. Because it's not about the ups and the downs, it's about realizing that these things, they coexist together and we can find joy in that, only when we find it in the presence of God. And that's exactly what this family did. And not only was that funeral service impacting, but since then there's just been this shockwave of people's lives being changed. At Warner Camp, we had uh, his mom, Brenda, come and share his testimony. And and she told about everything that happened. And the year before that, Mitch had actually gone to camp. And um, every student, every camper knew who Mitch was. They knew his story. And so this last summer when she was there, she shared her story. And students' lives were changed forever because Mitch's life was filled with joy even up to the end. And because of that, his medicine, his joyful heart had this had serious ramifications on the people around him. And so I wonder, maybe maybe you're somebody who needs to choose joy. I wonder who around you would be vastly impacted or changed because you were somebody who's joyful. I wonder for myself, what would it be like? What would my life be like? What would people around me, what would their lives be like if I chose every morning to wake up and pursue being a joyful person. Is it easy? No. But is it possible? I believe so. Would you pray with me? God, we come before you just real human beings who are broken and feeling crushed, um, maybe dried. God, we just need new life breathed into us. So Father, I just ask that as we leave this place, we don't just stop thinking about it, but that you consistently remind us day in and day out, morning in and night out, when we're driving to work, when we're driving home. God, you remind us to choose joy. And God, I just pray that you bring to our mind people around us that might be really impacted and changed if we choose joy. Show us the potential of what it could be like to be a joyful person and to see the changes in those around us because of it.